just a quick story to intro. Gosh, when I was a teen, become a believer, we're in our youth group, and we used to do like summer retreats, our youth group at Lake Wilson, or Wilson Lake. I think it's Wilson Lake, but how many of you know Wilson Lake out western Kansas? Beautiful lake. And we were out there one time, and my friend Doug Carter and I decided we'd just get in a canoe and just go out in the lake, and we just we paddled out a little ways, and we were just sitting and talking. And before we knew it, time had flown by, and when we looked up, we were far, far from where we had pushed out from and were away from where everybody was camping. Um, without even knowing it, we realized that we had drifted. Um, and it was kind of time for supper, so we kind of had to fix that. But it totally happened without our, our notice. And that is really a way of kind of introducing us to what we're going to talk about this morning. We do want to talk about spiritual drift. And one of the most important verses to me, there's a few verses that I hang on to that I come back to frequently. I'm going to mention another one later. But one of them to me is Hebrews 2.1, where the author of Hebrews wrote this, that we must pay, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away, so we do not drift away. Really powerful, powerful verse. So I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3 with me, because then a chapter later, he actually talks more specifically about what drift looks like. He talks about the people of Israel, and he talks about his audience of that day. So Hebrews chapter 3, if you would stand with me, this isn't going to be on the screen, and I'm reading from the NIV, but if you could like pull out your phone or your Bible and follow along. We're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, and here's what the author of Hebrews wrote, starting in verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going are always going astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger that I sh they shall never enter my rest. So see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And this is the word of the Lord. So you may be seated. Keep your finger there because we're going to come back and touch on that chapter a little bit more. But Jordan, you jump in on this topic of spiritual drift. Um, yeah, if we're going to talk about drift, we have, to, we have to talk about our natural inclination to kind of want to sleepwalk through life. I think a lot of us, myself included, have this delusion that we can take the foot off the gas on our spiritual walk and that we'll stay just the same, that we can coast and when we coast, that we'll naturally coast towards God because inwardly we really are good people, right? So if we just float, we will float to a good place um, spiritually and that's just crazy. Like it really is nuts and if you know the gospel and you know that we really are not good on the inside, you realize that when you float, you float to a bad place. That's just the way the universe works. Nothing good ever happens just on its own, it doesn't drift that way. Um, we we drift towards entropy. We don't drift towards goodness. Yeah. And so it's wild to think that we can just float spiritually and end up close to God. That's why Hebrews, if you look at verse thirteen, it talks about sin's deceitfulness. That that's part of the deceitfulness of sin is to convince us that we can drift and do okay. But I think we all know that nothing, nothing, never worthwhile, ever, nothing worthwhile ever comes out of just drifting into it. Right? Nothing ever 
um, that you can't coast uphill. It's not even possible to do that. Um, you know, and I love this word drift because this word drift that, that the author uses is a word of movement. And the reality is, is we're always in movement, right? There is no such thing as putting it spiritually into neutral and coasting. That really actually doesn't exist. I'm either moving towards God or I'm moving away from Him, and that's significant. And you've got a really cool thought about that. Yeah, I and think that really, important. I think, is what God cares about with us, with us. I think He cares about our movement, our trajectory, where are we headed. So often when Satan speaks to me, he speaks to me about my position with God. If I feel far from God, he will tell me that. Well, look how far you are from him. You've drifted, and this is your position. I think God cares a lot less about our position with him and much more about our trajectory. Um, despite where you feel like you are right now, is your heart open to the Holy Spirit? Are you, are you designed to move towards him, or have you hardened your heart and you're moving away? So I think Satan speaks position to us, but God would rather we focus on our trajectory. So that's just a word of encouragement. Maybe you walked in this morning and you're like, man, drift. That's where I'm at. I'm not in the middle of drifting. Like I have drifted. I'm a far ways away. Please know that Satan will speak to you about that position, but God wants to talk to you about your trajectory today. Yeah. So let's, I want to delve more into drift. We both want to do that. So why do we drift? And there's a couple of things that we, as we thought about it. One, we live in a fallen world where things don't work as God um, intended and everything in our world, it drifts towards decay, right? That's just the way everything in our world functions. Um, we plant a garden every year, um, and you do that, and then you go on vacation for two weeks, only two weeks, and you come back, and the weeds have overtaken, like, everything you work on, right? Ever had that experience in a garden? Um, it's, it's, you mentioned entropy. It's just part of that entropy right. um, that's in the universe. Yeah, my experience with that was crabgrass this year. I texted my friend, Adrian Coltrane, and he said, you got to get this preventer down and, like, April or something. So I did, and it was great. My, my lawn was awesome, but I forgot to read the back of the bottle, and it says every six weeks you got to reapply, and I didn't. And so on that seventh week, it was like it was horrible again. Yeah. So, so you have we, a crabgrass lawn now. So I've got the crabgrass lawn. So when we leave things to their own devices, like they never go well. It's, it's not, not a good thing. To me, the greatest illustration of the drift of the universe is the fact that, you know, you clean up your bedroom and stuff, sometimes sweep out underneath, and like in a month, what has repopulated under your bed? Dust bunnies, right? That is the greatest evidence of drift. Um, A.W. Tozer has a really great quote on this. In his, he has a little essay, the, the Hunger of the Wilderness. And he says, every farmer knows the hunger of the wilderness, that, that hunger which no modern farm machinery, no improved agricultural methods can ever quite destroy. No matter how well prepared the soil, how well kept the fences, how carefully painted the buildings, let the owner neglect for a while his prized and valued acres, and they will revert again to the wild and be swallowed up by the jungle of the wasteland. The bias of nature is toward the wilderness, never toward the fruitful field. So we're in a broken world right now, and so the drift is, is towards entropy. But not just that, we've got hearts that are broken, Jordan. Talk right. about that. Yeah, the, there's, there's a sin nature to our flesh that we talked about earlier. What's inside us is not naturally good. It's naturally broken. And we see that lots of places in the Bible. The most prolific one is probably Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond our cure. So who can understand it? So we just have to come to terms with the fact that inside of us, we crave drift, right? We crave the couch more than the gym. We crave mediocrity. We don't, we don't want to go out and, and do a lot of times we um, we're just uh, we're we're good with drifting. At least my flesh is. And one of the most powerful spiritual illustrations that I heard for this when I was younger was that if you're going to walk the Christian life, it's like walking up a downward escalator. That if you stop at any point, you don't even stay in the same spot. Like you move you move downwards naturally. That's just 
how our flesh is. So if you're going to move up, if you're going to walk towards God, you've got to fight against the current and walk up, and, and that's always kind yeah. of stuff. Isn't that a great picture? I love that. That I'd never heard that till last week. That, which This whole thing of drift and our heart, it's what George MacDonald calls the inexorable inward drift, and we have all felt it. I mean, we just sang about it. Prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. Do you not feel that? That proneness to wander. So the reality is, as we talk, there's two kinds of Christians in the world. And all of us are represented here. We're in one of two camps. There are those of us who drift, and there are those of us who pretend not to drift, right? The reality is we all drift. I mean, tell, I, want, I want you to raise your hand and answer this, and keep it up high for a minute. How many of you have experienced spiritual drift ever, at least once in your life? How many of you? Raise up your hand. How many of you experienced drift? Okay, look around at everybody. Look at the hands. I mean, this is, it is part of, I think, the Christian life. Even C.S. Lewis, you know, a great saint to me. I love quoting him. Somebody you'd think, well, he must never have drifted. In answer to a letter written him by a woman of, about his spiritual life at that time, here's what he wrote. He says, the truth is, I haven't any language weak enough to depict the weakness of my spiritual life. If I weakened it enough, it would cease to be language at all, as when you try to turn the gas ring a little lower still, and it merely goes out. I mean, that's C.S. Lewis, right? So the reality is, is all of us drift. Um, that's just part of what it is. So what, what happens? So we drift. That's reality, and that's why. What happens if we let that happen? What is the danger of drift? What's the danger? And we've got three things we want to talk about. The first danger of drift is that you can end up starting really small but getting way off course, way off course, right? Um, it's, I think you know this, but it's the small things in life that end up killing you. It's the small things. You know, now Carissa just flew in yesterday from, uh, from Central Asia with a, a team that was over there. And, you know, computers, airplanes are now, they're computerized and they have autopilot. But back in the old days, back in the 40s and all that, You'd have to set your course and use compasses and all of that. You'd have a guy actually on the plane keeping you flying the right, the right course. And, you know, I read one time that if you left Los Angeles in those days and you were heading to Honolulu, and if you got off just half a degree off course, you would miss the islands by 360 miles. 360 miles. So it's the little things. It's the small things that kill us. That's why Benjamin Franklin said a small, a small leak is what sinks a great ship. It's a small leak. Or C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters, writing from the perspective of Satan, says it does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is the same, to edge the person away from God. Murder is no better than movies if movies can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turns, without mile markers, without any signposts. Isn't that really powerful? Yeah, my version of that is I played tennis growing up, and the coach would always say that even a fraction of a degree of that racket meeting the ball, if it's, if it's even a little bit off, will send the ball exponentially in the right or wrong direction. And just that idea that a little bit here matters so much down the road, that's kind of just like what you said too. But it really paints this picture and illustrates for us that nobody intends to end up in a bad place, right? Nobody intends to commit murder. Nobody intends to, to do you know, the worst things that we can think of. But sometimes we get there when we start with small compromises. And it makes me think about a show that I used to love back in college, Breaking Bad, if you've seen it. It's this guy who starts small, right? I think his wife has cancer. He's this chemistry teacher. Oh, we have a visual? What kind of royalties Dude. do we pay on that? Huh? We're online That's now. why I get paid is to find pictures like that. So. Oh, nice. 
Um, but yeah, if you know the story, he starts off small, right? He's this chemistry teacher. He like starts with petty crime. And by like seven seasons in, he's like this drug lord who's having people killed and all this stuff. And so um, you're not all going to be drug lords who kill people. Don't worry, probably. But um, we can get there. We can get to a bad yep. place if it starts off small. Yeah, Larry Wing, it. I don't know who that guy is, but he said no one's ever made a plan to be fat, broke, stupid, lazy, unhappy, and mediocre. Those are the things that happen to you when you don't have a plan, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's just like K-State never plans to be last every year in the Big 12, but like <laughs> it just happens somehow. We don't really know. It's failing me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that. I think we've drifted a little bit. I want to get, yeah, us, I wanna get us back on course. Yes. Um, so that's the first result of drift. What's the second danger of drift, Jordan? What's that second danger? The second danger of drift is that when you're drifting, you're at the mercy of whatever is pushing you, right? So... Um, in this case, that would be culture or even Satan himself, right? If we are not a part of God's plan, we're a part of his plan. And so whatever you are caught in when you're drifting, you're going to match the drift. You're going to go in that direction. On my sabbatical, I was lucky to get to fly fish some. And in fly fishing, when you're fishing on top of the water, you put your fly in the current, in the stream, and you're trying to achieve a good drift. That's the language used there. So a good drift is when the fly matches the current perfectly, and it looks just like it, and it's real. Mm. And so a fish will, will take it if it looks mm. authentic enough. And so when we drift, we also just look like the things around us. We look like culture. We look like um, people who aren't following God. Our lives, there's no difference. Uh, one of the books that I read on sabbatical, the author was saying, if we don't daily um, abandon, it was really strong language, if we don't daily abandon society, we will become just like it. And so that can be drift too, that, that we are at the mercy of what's pushing us and we just look like everything else when we drift. Yeah. And I think the third danger, we could say, is actually in our text in Hebrews 3, that it can and it very, it very likely well unchecked have a profound negative spiritual impact on you. I mean, if you look at the language in Hebrews 3, this, the Israelites and his, the people he was writing to who were drifting, he says, here's some of the effects of it, that they were turning away from the living God, that their hearts were going astray, that they no longer knew his ways, that they had a sinful, unbelieving heart as a result. Three times he talks about having a hard heart. That can be the end game of what drift is. And then twice he talks about rebellion in verse uh, 7, verse 8, and in verse um, 15 he talks about rebellion. So that's all pretty strong language, but nobody intends to start in those places, but drift unchecked can take you to those places. Yeah, so if drift unchecked is the enemy, then we need to pay attention to the red the warning lights, right? There are things in our lives that are that blink at us that indicate, hey, you're kind of drifting. Um, I drive a car that's 20 years old, so I've become accustomed to ignoring the warning lights there. But you can't ignore them spiritually or you end up in a bad spot. So I think a good question is, what are some warning lights that drift are occurring? And there might be some crossover for, for us, but a lot of those are going to be just individual to us. Like for me, um, I know that when I start to drift, one of my warning lights that kind of turns me onto that is, is that idols pop up. I start to um, value other things and seek other things more than I seek God. His hunger, my hunger for him diminishes and my uh, affection for other things naturally increases, even good things like family and relationships and things like that. So idols popping up is one for me. Another warning light for me is substituting working for God for spending time with him that I can look at the leaders we're raising up or the students we're discipling or, or whatever, good, good things happening on staff. And I'm like, God, good things are happening. So I know I'm I know I'm good, but that's, that's not an excuse to not be with him. And, and the last one probably I would say is, and I talked about um, this shift that kind of happened for me on my sabbatical, but working 
towards an abundance mentality, not a scarcity one. And when I start to drift, I feel that scarcity mentality come back. I forget that I have a good father who will give me everything I need. And I start to try and hold and keep and um, store up for myself because I forget to trust him. So yeah, that's me. For me, it's that the hunger, I can sense that my hunger for God is decreasing. And kind of as you said, as that decreases, then I start getting this ravenous hunger for other things to kind of fill that void. So I can always sense it with that. I feel like when I'm drifting, um, I'm not, I feel like I know my times with God in the morning become more perfunctory, like shorter instead of like coming into it. I want to experience you. It's like almost like checking a box off, right? And getting through the prayer. Cause I've got stuff I've got to do that day. That's, that's a, a danger sign for me. And I just, man, when I start drifting, like joy starts seeping out of my life. I don't have a restful spirit. He even talks about it in here that part of the result of drift is they left the rest of God. So to me, that's what, uh, that inner agitation is kind of something. And I know we're all different, and if we asked you guys, you could all share some things, but I think you know for you what are those signs of drift. So uh, keep those things in your mind and pay attention to those things. Make it your habit to pay attention. So Yeah, and, and we kind of want to bring it to a head to, to say this, that this is a really big moment for our church. Um, yes. I think it is for the church in America at large, but specifically thinking about TABC, this is huge because Post-COVID, the stats are not good on what's happening to the body. Um, we see that the average attender only participates in something church-related 1.3 times a month. Uh, that post-COVID, one out of three believers say they didn't even read their Bible at all last year. And post-COVID, only 25% of volunteers remain active in the church. And so we see what's happening. We see that we went online, we, we stepped away for a time, and it began this drift. And not all of us have made our way back, even physically if we're here, that we haven't engage the way that maybe we, sh we should be as a healthy body. And so um, I just don't want us to lose sight of what a big, important moment this is in TBC's history because we can so easily become a statistic along with the national averages that we're seeing in the evangelical church, or we can get serious and realize that drift is a problem and we can engage. So if that helps you remember it, those things help me. We can either become a statistic or we can get serious. Yeah. Um, but one of those two things is going to happen to this church body for yeah. sure. And if we don't want to become a statistic, and I don't want to become a statistic, and I don't think we do, it's, it's like, then what's the opposite of drift? And the opposite of drift, to me, is intentionality. That's a huge word for me. I think it's an important part of the spiritual life. Um, and we see it in the text. If you look in 3.12, um, he says, see to it that none of you has. So that, that idea of seeing to it, to me, is intentionality. Down in verse 13, encourage one another daily. That's intentionality. But if I go back to Hebrews 2.1, the text that I love so much, that we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so we do not drift. Um, those are really strong words in the Greek, that pay most careful attention. Um, that word, that it means greatly, exceedingly. It's going beyond, paying attention beyond what's expected or almost what's required. And then that word attention, he could have used several Greek words, but he used a very intense one. It means to give full attention, to devote yourself to, to set a course and keep to it. So it's really strong language. And so what he's calling us to is intentionality. And another scripture I think that relates to me with drift is Proverbs 4.23. Um, and I preached on this a couple of years ago where the author says this, above all else, more important than anything else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And guarding your heart, if you know that, that requires intentionality. So intentionality is like the opposite of drift. Yeah. A few more verses that illustrate this. Psalm 119.9, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? And then this one is so good, 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. 
Paul writes, you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from these evil things. Just look at all the action verbs here. Run from these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life which God has called you to, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Um, it's just clear that if we're going to live intentionally, it's not going to fall in our lap. We've got to go do it. We've got to make a decision, a commitment. We've got to follow through on it. It's just like running a race. That's a theme in Scripture, right? Yep. Right. And, and we've got to be in the race and moving towards a destination. We can't just be on the sidelines just wandering around. So what's intentionality? What's that look like? Let's get even more practical. Um, intentionality specifically means practices. I talked a few summers ago when I went through Proverbs about this idea that a lot of us have desires of a destination that I want to get to, a place I want to be, but a lot of people never get to where they want to go, Right. And the bridge between desire and destination is actually disciplines, it's practices, it's choosing things intentionally that will get me to where I want to go. And so that's, that's really significant. Intentional practices are what get me where I want to go. When we found out, realized, when we looked up and realized we had drifted on Wilson Lake, uh, first we had to realize that we had drifted, and once we did... We're like, man, the burgers are going to be ready soon back there and the dogs. We want to be back there. And so with intentionality, we began to paddle. We couldn't have gotten there just continuing the drift, right? So practices are really important. Yeah. I mean, think about it in terms of sports, too, if that helps you. I mean, Ian, Ian grew up playing basketball, and I'm pretty sure in no basketball practice ever, a coach started with, hey, we want to go out and win it all this year, but I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. So we're just going to chill during practice and trust that, Trust that we'll end up in the right spot. Like no one ever says that. You've got to work hard for it. You've got to be disciplined about it. It's the same thing when you're going on a hike and you've got a destination. Well, hopefully you've seen a map and you've got a plan and you've got stuff with you and you've got the right gear yep. and you're traveling light and you're not bringing everything you own because you want to get there quickly and efficiently. This is what our spiritual life needs to look like too. And if it's not, then we're probably not going to get it. Yeah, that happened with you this summer, man. You did a 13er. I'm impressed. You're like one, one notch away from Yeah, the, I only took the picture at the, the top. Bedroom. I didn't show you how more bad shape I was. <laughs> so we've really got to put feet to this. That's the whole point of this is that to not drift requires intentionality, which requires intentional practices, right? Um, so the, int the opposite of drift is intentional engagement. That's another way I could say it. I'm intentionally choosing to be engaged. And so hence, we're going to be following this Sunday up with a series we're going to do called Engage. And we're actually going to call us as a body to, to engage and ask the question, like, where am I on engagement? And we're going to hit five core practices. I think the five core practices of how to engage with Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you're like, you know, my trajectory is drift right now away from God. These five things we're going to talk about are the things that help get you back in the right trajectory. And if you're here this morning, you're like, I'm walking with God and I'm on a good trajectory. These are the five things that'll keep you there. Okay. That'll keep you there. Not a hundred percent because it doesn't matter. We're all going to drift, but they're the things that'll help keep us there. And and I want you to know the five things we're going to talk about this week. By the way, Aaron, there you are. That when, Every time I see this picture, I see Aaron Blocker in that. Um, the, the, sorry about that. Like a dog, like squirrel all of a sudden or something. Um, here's what I want you to know. These five things we're going to talk about, they're, they're all about discipleship. The five things we're going to talk about are how you engage God. It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's what it means to be a disciple. They're not, these five things aren't just tag-ons of the Christian life. They're at the core and the essence. About a year and a half ago, I talked about discipleship and preached on Matthew 4.19 that gives us a clear definition of a disciple. And a disciple is somebody who, per somebody who personally knows Jesus, they personally know him, they're following him, 
They're being changed by him and they are on mission with him. That's what a disciple is. And so much of the American church has given up discipleship and we think being a Christian can just be about knowledge and facts and just showing up and learning things. And Dallas Willard has said that the governing assumption today among professing Christians in America is that we can be Christians forever and never become disciples. And that's the furthest thing from what Jesus intended. You know that? That's the furthest thing. And so we're going to kind of say with this engaged thing, like not here. We're not going to be just about a belief system here. We know that the Christian life isn't just something we believe, but it's something that we, that we believe. Um, Ed Catmull, one of the three creative brains behind Pixar, said it isn't enough to pick a path. You must go down it. You must go down it. Yep. So we're talking about engagement, and Kale and Abby, you're ahead of the, you're ahead of the curve, dude. You guys got engaged, so way to go. You, you probably don't even come the next five weeks because you're already fully engaged. So. Um, when we're talking about church engagement, um, G just got that joke, by the way. That was like a, that was a good Good delay on that one. Um, we got to talk the talk, but we got to walk the walk. It's not enough to just come here for the next five weeks and say, Garen, that's really good. I, like, I agree. Um, and this is for my own heart, too, that we've got to walk out of these doors and walk the walk because that's what Jesus cares about. There's lots of people who gave lip service, but not many that followed through. Um, we, look at, we look at a few places. I mean, just really quickly, in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for, the, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few ever find it. That's terrifying. Only a few ever find it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. And then in John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. That's an action. In 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So these are calls to action. They're not calls to talk about our faith or what is, what is right. It's calls um, to live it out. And we did, a, we did an infusion Bible conference this week. It was really good. One of the things they talked about was the difference in Greek and in, in Jewish life. And they were always butting up against each other in first century um, Israel. And one of the biggest differences was that in Greek life, you were what you said. But in Jewish life, you were what you did. And we just see that theme throughout the Bible that we can talk about it all we want and have the best intentions, but if we're not going to walk it out, nothing's ever going to change. Yeah, I preached on this a few years ago. That's why the first Christians weren't called Christians. They were called the followers of Jesus' way. That's what they were known as, as people who followed his way. So this morning we've talked about spiritual drift. We talked about the reality, some of the reasons, the results, some of the red warning lights that you'll see, how to resolve the resolution to that. Um, and I just want to take a minute just in silence we don't usually, I didn't even do this first service, we don't do this, but just bow your head a minute. I just want to ask a question. I just want to know, I want you to think and prayerfully with him, where's God speaking to you this morning and how's he challenging you? So just take a moment and just ask that question. Some of us this morning, I think, might say, I find myself on a spiritual Wilson Lake. I have been adrift. That's kind of where I'm at. So this topic of drift is so crucial to the author of Hebrews. If you knew the book and background, it's really, really significant to him and the people he was writing to. And it's so important to him that in this text, three times he uses the word today. Three times. It's in verse 7, it's in verse 13, and it's in verse 15. 
Three times he uses that word today. It's really significant. And twice he quotes Psalm 95 to begin it and to end it. And there he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Twice he says that. And that's his way of saying is if you find yourself in drift today, it requires action today. Action today. So I want you to bow your head one more time with me. One more time. And... Um, Maybe take a quick look. I've got a couple of questions up here. So what's my current trajectory? We talked about that. Am I moving toward or moving from God? Toward or from? And if I'm honest, is there evidence of drift in my life right now? So now, with those two questions in mind, take a minute and bow your head and ask, take that, those questions before the Lord. All right, I'd, I'd add a third question, which fits what we've been talking about. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? So starting next week, we're going to be starting on the, focusing on the five core things of what it means to be engaged with God. We're going to start on those five things. Um, next week's going to be number one. And I really want to challenge, the challenge for all of us as a church is we want to be people who are engaged in life with God, right? We want to be people who are engaged, who are real disciples. Um, and really going to be challenging all of us. We're going to be up in the commitment, little, little, the commitment level a little bit and offering a challenge. I want to challenge you even this morning, like, like make it a priority. Like, I want to be here through those five things. I want to hear all those things. So really challenge you to make it a point um, to be here. We're also going to have communion next week after the first one. The first is the most foundational of all of them. So I think you want to be here next week. But there is too much at stake. We talked about the post-COVID reality. We talk about this with staff. I talked to a lot of pastors. There's too much at stake, okay, for us to be the statistic of the average American church. We need to step up our game and not be a place of people who drift. So I want you to stand with me. I want you to stand. I, wanna, I don't know if this is a blessing, a challenge. I don't know. But 12th Avenue, may we be a body of people that don't fit the statistics of the average church in America. May we be a place, yeah, we occasionally drift, we all do, but may we be a place that when we sense that, we, 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 we make some steps to move back in direction towards God, and that we're a people that are known as, as a church that's not drifting and just following the culture and everything, but we're known of a place that's engaging God for His fame and His glory, and we're making a kingdom impact on our community. Do you not agree? Is that not the desire of your heart as a kind of community? So, Father, make us that kind of place. You know our hearts. You know we're but dust. You know the drift is part of our walk with You, but we really want to be committed as a body to being people who who are engaged with you, intentionally engaged in the practices that help us to walk closely with you and to be a disciple. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, 12th, you are sent.